is taken from Mark chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Is this the right bit? Okay, sorry. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son, son of De Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My name is Craig, as Chris already said. Uh, I'm normally at the 1045, um, and uh, David is also a great plug for St. Nick's communities as well, um, because he's joined one of the best ones in the Sherwood community, um, uh, so it's been great to uh, get to know David a little bit there. Um, we, um, uh, we are looking at uh, making disciples uh, this evening the next uh, part of our values uh, as a church. Um, and I'm told, um, because I'm not often here, I'm normally uh, holding somebody and trying to persuade them to go to sleep at this point, uh, but um, uh, that you like a little bit of chat uh, together. So I've got a quick question and two supplementaries if, you're really if, if the first one doesn't keep you going for a couple of minutes. Um, so just with kind of one or two people around you, um, just have a quick discussion. How would you define discipleship? What is discipleship? And if that isn't enough, you can then think about what made you a disciple and when was the last time you played a part in making somebody a disciple. But what is discipleship? Just, just two minutes, just buzz with the people around you um, and then I'll try and call order. So, does, is anybody brave enough to just shout out what they think discipleship is? Following God. Thanks, Rich. Glad you're discipling our kids too. And sharing that with people. Okay, great. So following God and sharing that with people. Those two work well together. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah, okay. There's a theologian. I like that. That's what he's studying. Revealing works through faith in daily life. I like that. Okay, so... You've had a good chance to think a little bit about what discipleship is. Um, as we uh, think about our values as a church, uh, last week we looked at uh, how we're to love God. And um, that's what, um, were you preaching last week here, Steve? So that's what Steve started off looking at. You know, what does it mean for us to love God? And then we have to share that. We have to make disciples. And disciple is one of those words that, um, I don't know about you, but um, even as a, a clergyman, you know, we can use frequently and we can kind of assume that we're all on the same page. Uh, what does it mean? Um, there are obviously the stories, um, some of which uh, we've just read in Mark's gospel there, um, where uh, we hear about Jesus's disciples. He had 12. We often call them apostles as well, don't we? Um, but then he had the 72 uh, that he taught and invested in and sent out uh, to do miracles and to proclaim the good news. Uh, and then um, there were thousands more who followed Jesus as disciples. But we know it's not just a word for the Bible. Um, you and I are called to be disciples. 
Uh, That is what Jesus, at the end of Matthew's gospel, commissioned his followers, his disciples to do. To go and to make disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So disciples throughout uh, the Bible are described as disciples, Christians, little Christs or Christ followers. And I'm sure if you read the New Testament carefully, uh, you would find some more. So what does disciple mean? Well, I think you guys have done a pretty good job, certainly on this side of the church anyway, uh, at uh, at working out what disciple or suggesting what disciple uh, might mean. Uh, A disciple is somebody who follows another's teaching and way of life. So in this context, um, it is to be a follower of Jesus. It means choosing to walk in the way of Jesus, to follow his lifestyle, to learn from him and to live like him. Uh, It means trying to put into practice all that we learn through the scriptures and all that we learn by being a church together. And in uh, Mark's gospel there, right at the start, um, we read Jesus calling some of those very first disciples. Uh, He said, uh, the kingdom of God has come near. That's what Jesus' ministry is about, about the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And so first he said to Simon and Andrew, the brothers, come, follow me. And they leave behind their lifestyle, their job as fishermen, and they follow Jesus. And then, uh, in, and then he calls James and John. Um, interestingly, I should have looked at the NIV. In my ESV, it said they left their nets without delay, which makes my point slightly better than what the NIV said, which was Jesus without delay called James and John. Um, anyway, we won't get into the uh, in translations of the Bible. Um, but, but Jesus called those disciples uh, to follow him, to live with him for three years, learning something of what it was to live a kingdom lifestyle, to see miracles and lives transformed by the good news. And so the first thing I just want to remind us about uh, this evening is our own discipleship, what Steve uh, will have said very eloquently last week, um, which is that our discipleship matters. We are trying to follow Jesus, to live his lifestyle. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels like a a big calling to me. When I read the Bible, when I read of how Jesus encountered people and what he taught, I think, gosh, I don't know whether I could ever live up to that. When Jesus met people that threatened him, he responded with grace. When the sick came to him, he healed them. When the father spoke to him, he simply obeyed. When the devil tempted him, he stood fast and quoted scripture. When the wine ran out at a party, he just made some more. And then when it came to the end of Jesus' ministry, we know that he took up his cross. Uh, He took on the burden of sin of the whole of humanity. And he chose in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew his whole life mission was to go to the cross and die that humiliating and painful death for you and for me. To break the power of sin and darkness. And we have access to the power of the Spirit because of what Jesus did. But the bar is high, right? If we're disciples of Jesus, the bar is high. But we don't have to do it on our own. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have one another, the Church of God, to encourage us, to challenge us, to spur us on. 
And I don't know about you, but I love coming to church without my kids. No, no, I love coming to church. Um, uh, and I love uh, coming to, to worship. Uh, it's so great to have um, a worship team to lead us in sung praise, uh, to pray for what God is doing, to hear from God's word, and to share fellowship with one another, to uh, encourage and equip one another for our week. And Sunday nights are, are great. Sunday mornings are great. But then we come to Monday morning and we wake up and we have to go to work or university or maybe we have to be disciplined and do some self-study. And for some of us, we've got to get up with the kids or get the kids up. Um, and uh, we've all got to get out of the house before eight in the morning, maybe. How do we live our discipleship in the place that God has called us on our front lines? How do we spend time with Jesus? How do we do what Steve was encouraging us to last week with that loving God so that we can serve others with joy, love, and peace? I read um, a few years ago, um, I don't read these very often, but I read uh, Tolstoy's Anna Karenina. Um, and uh, I was really proud of that because I don't read classics uh, very often and particularly not Russian ones. Um, it was interesting, there was an intern uh, in the church I was leading, uh, playing a part in leading at the time uh, who put me in my place and I was really proud of having read this and she said, oh, I read that in three days in Russian. Yeah, you could do that, Emily, right? Uh, what, no, maybe not. Anyway, so, um, so anyway, I read Anna Karenina, and uh, there's lots of different stories in there, obviously Anna Karenina's story, but um, her brother-in-law, uh, Levin, uh, he's an interesting guy, he's a landowner in the countryside, um, and he asks this woman to marry him, uh, she turns him down, but they do get married, they have a child, um, and you get like a real insight um, in the way Tolstoy's written about this kind of grumpiness that he has, and, and his thought processes, and his thinking, and um, and, and he comes to faith at some point in the story. Um, it was an increasingly uncommon thing uh, in Russian literature at that time, this kind of faith coming through. Um, he has to go and receive absolution, which uh, is part of his journey to faith. Um, but then one scene towards the end of the book, he's laid in, the, in one of his fields, working uh, with the laborers. He's pondering on this newfound faith he has, and he's overjoyed by this feeling of faith. And then on his way home, he's horrified at his behavior, um, he doesn't seem to have changed in spite of all of his best commitments and effort. And he says this, I shall go on in the same way, losing my temper with Ivan the coachman, falling into angry discussions, expressing my opinion tactlessly. There will be the, still the same war between the holy of holies of my soul and other people, even my wife. I shall still go on scolding her for my own terror and being remorseful for it. I shall still be as unable to understand with my reason why I pray, and I shall still go on praying. But my life now, my whole life, apart from anything else that can happen to me, every minute of it is no more meaningless as it was before, but it has the positive meaning of goodness, which I have the power to put into it. And I love that. Um, don't mishear me. I think that ongoing battle, we call it, we'd call it sanctification. You know, that purpose, that journey of being more holy by the time we leave this life than when we became a Christian. Um, but that battle that Levin has there of this is how I want to live. And yet letting my wife or treating my coachman right is still really difficult. That's the journey we're on in discipleship. And on our front lines, um, whether that, wherever you find yourself day to day, um, hour by hour, We've got to just try and be a little bit more like Jesus. We're not going to 
totally, like, you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and look more like Jesus. You might. You might act more like Jesus tomorrow. I pray you will. But it's a long journey on that holy road. And so I just love that. Um, and I, I can remember, um, uh, you know, having come to faith, um, I was working it out um, uh, earlier, actually. Um, this Christmas, I will have been a Christian for half of my life, um, which is amazing. I, I became a Christian in my first year of uni. Um, and, uh, and I think, um, I've totally forgotten the point I was making now. Anyway, um, the point is, <laughs> wherever we find ourselves on that journey of growing, we need to love God more and more. And the purpose of starting there again is that transformed lives transform lives. And so if you look a bit more like Jesus day by day, if you look a bit more like Jesus today than you did a year ago, then the, the, the journey of transformation, the journey of hope and love that you are on will lead other people to wonder and to go, Rob, why are you different uh, to how you were a year ago? What is different about you from where you were? And so uh, as we are on that journey of loving God as, as individuals and as a church, our transformed lives will have an impact on those we teach, on those we work with, on those we share life with, on those we live under, our managers. If we live more graciously when we go back to work this week than we did last week, then people will notice that. And we can only do that in the strength of God. And Patrick Lencioni, if you've ever read any of his emo emotionally healthy spirituality stuff, I was listening to his podcast last week, and he just reminded me, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Now that gives me hope, um, because day by day, I'm reminded that I shouldn't be the way I am. And so we need to be a church that is making disciples. We need to take our discipleship personally and be growing in it, but so that as a church, we can be confident because we've met with our Lord and Savior, because we have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so when somebody says, Gosh, life is hard. How do you get through this? When somebody says, oh, Rich, I notice you're really kind. What is it that you will answer? We need uh, to demonstrate a way of life that is different from the world, that is not self-seeking, but is sacrificial, that says we are more important than I, that says radical life-transforming obedience is worth it, that shows being a Christian really does make a difference to who we are and how we live our life. And so um, I wonder when you were talking about discipleship, um, whether any of those thoughts uh, were what you were thinking about. When was the last time perhaps you had a chance to share your faith? Um, there's an easy joke, I'm pretty sure I've made it even at the evening service at St. Nick's, but what will you do tomorrow when somebody says, how was your weekend? Will you say, oh, well, Actually, I went to church last night, and there was a really dodgy preacher, but it was worth going because there were some good, uh, good people, and it was great to deepen my faith. Will you be able to share the purpose of why you gather, even if it's for friendship or to, to sing uh, or whatever reason you come? Uh, I was in a meeting just last week, and there was a guy, and um, he was one of those people you'd call a capital E evangelist. You know, that was his primary gifting. And he had this um, football team of 20-odd men. They'd clearly been playing five-a-side. They all looked a bit sweaty. And, and he, um, he, he said to these guys, you know, you guys know we're Christians. 
Um, this is what we're about, and we'd love to go and do this and talk to you about our faith. And I just thought, gosh, all of those years I played for a football team, and I'm not sure they even knew I was a Christian. But we all need to be willing to share our faith, even if it's in the little things. We don't need to stand up like that and proclaim that we're Christians. But when somebody asks us, perhaps we're ready. There was some research done. Um, it was first done in 2015, and it was updated uh, just recently. And the new uh, research is out called uh, Loving, uh, Nope, Talking Jesus. And um, what was really interesting was that people thought individual Christians were really nice. So well done. That's good news. The church didn't come off quite so well as an institution. But what was particularly interesting in that research, I'm sorry, if I was Fran or Steve, I'd have some kind of shiny pie charts to show you um, what, what this actually looked like. Um, but where a non-Christian, so somebody who didn't regularly practice uh, Christian faith, where they talked to a practicing Christian, only half of those practicing Christians ever talked about Jesus. Only half of them ever talked about Jesus. But the great news is, when a non-Christian had a conversation with a practicing Christian about faith, one in three of those non-Christians felt more positive about Jesus Christ and wanted to know more about him. One in three of those conversations meant people were more positive about the person you call your savior and best friend. That is good news, right? I think that's really encouraging. Um, they also felt, um, uh, th and three quarters of those people um, also felt comfortable in that conversation. The non-Christians felt comfortable in that conversation. So perhaps we're using some of our emotional intelligence as well. We're relational, and that's really helpful. Um, but what the research showed was people, non-Christians talking to practicing Christians, um, when we showed interest in their story, they loved it. That's what society and culture tells us today, isn't it? That that's your story is really important. And so rather than thinking, oh, I must talk about Jesus or what I did on Sunday night or all of this, what's their story? What do they think? What, you know, and and, and they've, the research said that three quarters found that uh, really helpful. And, and uh, the, the thing about sh sharing your story as well, sorry, I don't normally preach from a tablet, it's moving around. Um, but um, uh, the, the, the thing that these non-Christians said was when the Christian shared a personal story about Jesus and faith, they remembered it. That was really important in those conversations. So what is God doing in your life? What does it mean for you to be a follower of Jesus today that is different from when you became a Christian last week or 10 years ago or 60 years ago? What is the living story that Jesus is doing for you right now? And we're all called uh, to witness on our front lines. Uh, some of us might do that by modeling godly character. Some of us might do that by talking openly about Jesus. Some of us might do that by standing up for justice or working hard. But we all need to be ready to share our faith because then we will have an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation and begin to make disciples. Um, I just want to share, I, forgive me, I don't think I showed this in the evening service. I might well have. Um, so if you've heard it before, I'm really sorry. Um, but uh, a few months ago, uh, my grand died and she died as a Christian. Uh, which for my family is amazing news. 
Um, and uh, for me, it's just a helpful story. I was kind of, you know, in ministry, there are lots of examples where I've had the privilege of playing a part in seeing people come to faith, whether it's through Alpha. Um, uh, I've done, a, uh, I've been involved in over a couple of dozen Alpha courses, so hopefully I've got stories of people's lives being changed by that. Um, but at a personal level, um, my grand became a Christian about six years ago. Um, and uh, the, the, the short version of that story um, is that uh, she had a heart attack um, in 2012, was rushed to hospital, had another heart attack in hospital. Um, we drove the 300 miles um, in our tinny little Nissan Micra um, to go and be with her because we thought that was it. We thought Grandma was going. And no one in my family was a Christian at that point except me. Um, and so, um, uh, I, I mean, I, I'd just been ordained uh, in the Church of England, so I thought I ought to pray. I hope as lay members of the church, you all feel you ought to pray as well. But that was my motivation at that point. Um, and so, um, so uh, my gran was quite cantankerous. She was 72-ish at that point. And um, I just said, gran, can I pray for you? And she said, yes, well, I suppose so. <laughs> so I kind of said some half-hearted prayer and, you know, would you heal her, Jesus, and give her peace, amen, and just left it. Anyway, over the, the following years... Um, she wondered what had happened. Why, why is Craig so different as a Christian? Uh, and what happened when he prayed for me? You know, she began to realize that she'd been really poorly uh, and maybe perhaps ought not to have been there. And so she, um, so she did Alpha a few times um, in uh, a small local church in Darlington where she lived, where I grew up. Um, and uh, anyway, after a few, a few times of doing Alpha, um, she, I think the term is alpha-holic, isn't it? But um, she wasn't, um, I don't know how helpful she was in her groups, but she had lots of good questions, apparently. Anyway, so, um, so, so I sat her down. Um, we'd had our first child, Noah, um, so it was 2015. Uh, sat her down and introduced her to her first great-grandson and said, look, Grandma, here he is. Give him a cuddle. Oh, he's really tired. Becky's going to take him for a walk. And I sat her down and I said to her, Grandma, look, you've got loads of great questions. I don't think they need to stop you becoming a Christian. And so I said, do you want to follow Jesus? And she said, yes. And so we just prayed that simple prayer. Thank you, uh, sorry, thank you, please, whichever way it is. Thank you, sorry, please. Um, and, and she invited Jesus into her life. And since then, in 2015, um, she goes to church, or went to church more regularly than any Anglican I know. Uh, she was there nearly every week. So sorry if you're here every week. Uh, but, um, but, but she was involved in the food bank up until a few weeks before um, uh, she passed away. Uh, and uh, she was involved in Alpha. And at her funeral, everyone wanted to come and share what a difference they'd seen. She'd gone from being a cantankerous, angsty old woman to somebody who, who demonstrated and lived in the peace of Christ. Amazing. And, and that is what we're talking about. Um, when we think about making disciples... There, there were so many things. I was like, Steve, I could do a sermon series on making disciples. How do we do it? What are the skills? Um, but I kind of wanted to just inspire us that lives do change when we pray and when we encounter, uh, help people encounter Jesus. And so if we are to love God, uh, we're to make disciples. We're to play our part in serving and healing the city. But who is it in your heart that you've been praying for for a long time? Who is it that you might just be able to speak a word of hope to so that we would be able to play a part in making disciples? And there's loads more that we could look at. Um, but I just hope that's an encouragement that as we think about how our lives are being transformed, we will see other lives transformed by the love of God because this is his work. We get to play a part and it's a huge privilege to play that part. But God is doing his work. He has been doing it, he is doing it, and he will keep on doing it.
there were just a couple of things. Um, I'll hand over to Chris in a minute, but um, as, I, as I was just praying this week and preparing, um, just a couple of things I wondered as we um, begin to respond in, in sung worship. Um, Franklin, I don't know whether you guys want to come up. Um, but um, two, two, two things. One is, um, I think there's some of us here tonight that having heard Steve's message about loving God last week and then being reminded of it this again this week, I think there's some of us that God might just be nudging us just to say, come on, are you really all in? Come and choose to follow me again. I'm good. And there are so many reasons why we might be in that place. But that call by Jesus to you personally tonight to just radically reorder your life as a disciple of Jesus. And then uh, the second thing is um, just who, that, that, uh, that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not a guilt because you're, you don't feel you do this. It's the guilt, guilt's not going to change anything. But if you just feel the Holy Spirit beginning to speak to you this evening about who it is that he's working in their lives and you get to play a part, you might be just a small kind of step on the journey for them, but just a chance to be known as a disciple and to offer that hope you have in Jesus to somebody. Um, So why don't we stand um, and just wait on God. Chris, do you want to come up as well? Um, Franklin, I don't know whether you just want to kind of play and we'll just, just, let's just invite the Holy Spirit those are the two things, Chris might have more there might be more in the room um, but let's just stand, um, you might find it helpful to have your hands out in front of you just as a sign of being willing to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of God's presence, living with each of us you might find it helpful to close your eyes just to concentrate, it doesn't matter what the person next to you or in front of you is doing but as we pray come Holy Spirit We just ask for his still, small voice. Might be that for one or two of us, he's just reminding us of his love and his goodness to us. Might be that he's reminding you of when you first met him and that first love you had for him. Lord, we long for more of you. Come and fill your people afresh, we pray. Lord, come and anoint us. Come, stir our hearts.